All right, that's how we fire up our Wednesday afternoons around here, Pet Chat. And um, oh, the room seems a little bit uh, empty today. Uh, oh, Doc, Dr. David Tabron. I don't know about that. Well, I know you'll fill it up with your sparkling oh, personality. Thank you very much. Mike. I'll do my best with my schoolboy looks and boyish charm. Um, I'm just looking around for that schoolboy <laughs> looks and boyish charm. But there's, a, but there's only the two of us today, which means you're handling 110% of the pet chat chat. Can I talk that long? Well, my I'm... wife would say, no problem, though. No. <laughs> Let's All go. Right. Let's go. All right. So, David, what David is basically saying there is you've got a whole hour to chat to him, uh, 49216216. He'll answer your questions. And other than that, he might just scrounge up a couple of topics off the floor, right? Eh? No, I do have some things to talk about okay. if we get a chance. So, I love that. look forward to the calls. I love that enthusiasm if I get a <laughs> chance. Of course, Dr. David Tabbert is here, who I must say, the biggest smile I've ever seen out of this bloke's <laughs> mouth is where... As when, that's um, fantastic. as when Daniel Carrington walked in late, but that's okay, mate. Welcome. He's, on. he's been in. He's been in hair and makeup. <laughs> You've got to understand this. We've been well together. You and I doing this for fifteen years. Gosh, you, <laughs> you must have started when you were thirteen, Danny. I tell you. Oh, thank you. You're too nice. <laughs> too nice. David started when he was fifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've got a Tommy to get through. We'll get into that. I bit. had brown hair when I started. Correct. It's not brown anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. In a minute, we'll, we'll uh, find out what Kelly from Jasmine has to say to the Pet Chat team on Two in UrFM. G'day, Kelly. Uh, Jasmine, you're a dog groomer, and you have um, you have some questions for our team today, Kelly. I do, I do. Over the years of grooming, I've just noticed that black dogs smell the worst. So uh, mm. black poodles are the worst, uh, close, closely followed by black Labradors. <laughs> and I'm just wondering why black dogs would smell worse than um, other lighter-coloured dogs. Kelly, as the team go to ponder that question, I like, you've actually called the one week that Cheryl Shaw, our dog groomer, yeah. is not here. So uh, who, she, who she also probably noticed the same thing as me. Probably. Who owns yeah. uh, and has shown poodles. So, Cheryl, if you're listening, let's hope we get this right. Um, I, Danny and I were just talking about this a second ago. So a couple of things, I wonder. One is that... Um, not so much black dogs, but I would think certainly certain breeds would have different oils and uh, increased amount of sebaceous secretions, which increase the amount of uh, odour that comes. And the odour doesn't come from the dog. It comes from the bacteria and the uh, yeasts that are on the skin. So if there's any organic material on the skin, um, caught in the hair, things like that, that's going to allow the, the increased overgrowth of skin bacteria and the yeast, the candida, which causes, uh, sorry, malassezia, which causes this increased smell. And I'm just wondering whether by the time they come to you, they're not going to be immaculately washed and prepped anyway, in which case are they coming because the dog has a really bad smell and the owners being a black dog, they haven't really noticed uh, the material in the coat beforehand. Does that? No, 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 because my customers, I'm mobile and I see my customers fortnightly or four weekly and right. it could be two dogs in the same house and one's white and one's black and the black one just reeks. And it's across all breeds, i found. Like it's just mm. for some reason, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if what you're saying is partly the, the case in that black dogs, because they feel the heat more maybe, um, they spend more time digging and then lying in the dirt and therefore have more organic matter in their coats or, yeah. 
Yeah, I just don't know, but it's just years and years I've been wondering why the black ones always smell worse than the lighter coloured ones. I'll tell you what we'll do um, for you, Kelly. We'll we'll obviously handball that to Cheryl when she's here next week. Um, and she may have an answer for well, us. Well, the, so. the other thing I was going to say, and this is kind of straying away from the veterinary problem but more with our, ourselves, is um, any sensory input that we have is interpreted and made um, meaning of within our brain, and that is subject to other inputs. So there is a possibility that you associate black dogs with smell, and so now whatever odour comes from a black dog your brain goes, well, it's a black dog, it's going to be smelly. Yeah, no, but you never know, I suppose. <laughs> hey, but, but Kelly, just, just keep in mind, keep in mind, Kelly, this is the job you wanted, right? So. <laughs> oh, or... no, I love my job. I just couldn't figure out, like, why that's the case, and I just thought maybe you guys would know, but you... I'm guessing that it's still a mystery, and still it's one mi- I'll probably yeah. never solve. Still a mystery. One thing you could do is if you've got two dogs, have a blindfold on and get someone bring the dog in front of you <laughs> and see if you can pick the colour based on the dog smell. <laughs> a whole lot of fun happening at uh, Kelly the dog groomer's house. You never know what could come out of that. All right, thanks, uh, guys. Thanks for that, uh, Kelly. We'll continue with Pet Chat in a couple of minutes. And a very special guest. We haven't even announced Danny's special guest yet. I don't know who it is. We'll find out together in a couple of minutes at 2NURFM 103.7. The uh, new, uh, Newcastle on the Hunters' best vet that's in this room today is uh, Dr David Tabra. Oh. Yeah, the best one that's in here today, mate. All oh, right. And uh, the bloke that's still fresh from hair and makeup, Daniel Carrington. Good, that's a- right. good afternoon, mate. Thank you, you. Your special guest, Daniel, is ready to go. Fantastic. Mark, we've got Mel Daly on the phone. Uh, she's from The Good Dog. And what she does is she specialises in owner-trained assistance dogs. And they're becoming more and more popular, more and more of us humans needing assistance dogs to help us with our life, lifestyle. And I want to talk to her about it. Hi, Mel. Hi, how you going? Good, thank you. I guess the first question I have for you is, what is an assistance dog? So an assistance dog um, is a dog that is specially trained to help one person. So they might have autism, mental health, uh, lots of things that could require them needing that dog to help them navigate life. Okay. And... In regards to your role, I know we have, there are institutions who train assistance dogs, but you do it a little bit differently. You work with the owner of the assistance dog. How does that work? Yeah, so the owners might already have the dog or they might um, work with me first and we'll choose a dog. uh, And then from there, I sort of play role as a coach to help them train their own dog towards the public access test, which they run uh, at the end when they're ready, which gives them access to go anywhere. It sort of makes sense that the owner of the dog gets to train the dog for the purpose that they require, doesn't it? It does to me. They form that bond and they sort of get the skills to be able to do it themselves, I think, which is uh, important. How long does it take? It can take about 12 to 18 months, depending on um, the dog and the age we start that dog. Um, But they go through a series of goals that we check off along the way to make sure that they're up to standard. Are there any breeds that are better at this job than others? Um, I wouldn't say they're necessarily um, better than others, but I do have a lot of Labradoodles. They would be 90% of the dogs that I train. Okay. 
I know in, in terms of uh, trial work, retrieving work, Labradors are really good to work with. Um, they're yeah. good at obeying commands and don't think too much for themselves. So I'm sure that's part of the reason as well. Yeah, and then you've got the non-shedding, most of them, from mm. the poodle. Uh, and they're a good size for most people. They're sort of big but not heavy dogs. Um, can you share a story of someone that um, has an assistance dog and what that assistance dog was trained to do and, and how it's helping their lifestyle? Uh, yeah, I've got one. Uh, the dog's name is Toby. So Toby helps his human that he works for to not run away. So when she's out, she um, gets really anxious and stressed and it often causes her to run, um, which then a lot of people have to try and track her down and find her. So Toby's got a special uh, handle on his harness which his little person holds on to, and that helps her to feel calm and okay about being out and stops her running because she doesn't want to leave the dog. Wow. Yeah, that's one of them. How, um, and so that's just his job, that she can actually walk with him and she has a companion. She's got the companion there. Um, it stops her anxiety getting out of control, so it sort of helps to regulate her while she's out and gives her access that she can because without him a lot of the time she can't go out mm -hmm. or they need to have multiple people to oh, go okay okay take away that need well you know that's amazing even that task yeah yeah yep okay all right do you have another one another example you can throw at us uh yes there's um another one they, they sometimes will do a thing called deep pressure. So if the humans are getting stressed, whoever's the handler of that dog, they can get the dog to either lay on them or over them and the pressure that they feel from the dog helps them to calm and to regulate themselves so they can continue on with whatever they were doing at you know the shops or doctor's appointments and things like that. That's quite amazing, isn't it, Mel, that like, we, we've been able to figure out through maybe trial and error or a bit of scientific uh, whatever that that, that, is, that is a technique that actually works. I, I just wouldn't have thought that off on our own. Yeah. 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 So, like, you can get the weighted blankets and stuff like that. You can use the dog. And, yeah. and the dog's more comforting than just the blanket <laughs> too. Yeah, that's, I think so. I've got a dog that'll do that without any training. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll just come and lie on top of you. <laughs> but they're, will they when you really need them? Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> Look, Mel, thank you very much for the interview and for that information. Uh, I love uh, talking about dogs and how they help us as humans in our, in our lifestyle, in our general day-to-day -day life. So that's fantastic. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. All right, now how fantastic was that? So you're just having some dramas, get the get David's dog to lay down on you. How about that? <laughs> I'll, I'll drive around and bring someone a dog to lay. But the problem with my dogs is they're, they're like seven kilo. So if they lay on you, it's like a feather. <laughs> it's, so it's, not not it's quite the right amount of pressure. Not really the weighted effect. I'm sure it's good for them. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. But yeah.
All right. Well, uh, thanks for that, Mel. And, and Danny, I know this is a part where you just you and your hair just leave us again. <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh. <laughs> I just come in and I go out. That's right. It's just like that. All right, mate. Uh, Daniel Carrington, the breath of fresh air that you are, mate. Thanks for your time. We we'll, we'll love you. having you here, mate. Talk, talk next time. Dr. David Tabbert uh, is still uh, hanging around, ready to go. A little while ago, mate, you were um, up in the north of Queensland, luxuriating. Oh. On a, a, uh, I think the technical term for it is a junket. Take me back. And mm. I believe in the last little bit you've been just, you know, uh, on, on another one. This t- oh, come on. <laughs> The well, junkets just keep on coming. Well, they do. So, you know, it's too late to go back and be a vet probably. Um, where have no, you been? So, um, where have you been last, and why? Last week I was privileged to be asked to uh, travel up to Armadale and speak at a dinner pre- preceding a workshop and it was very well attended, I must say. Um, there was probably at least 50 people there. Black tie affair? Um, well, I did look out of place, but, you know, I like to dress up. Um Basically, the workshops are being run all over the state. And I think one of the things I said to you, Mark, is this is a little bit of a public service, not much of an um, interaction with our local listeners. But just to be aware, there are people, uh, our vets across the state, primarily in local land services, the LLS and the Department of Primary Industries, um, but also private vets are being engaged in training to learn to identify and notify any possible intrusion of um, emergency diseases. They used to be called exotic diseases, mm-hmm. but I always feel that implies that North Queensland junket sitting <laughs> on a beach with cocktails. Yeah, hanging around the, uh, right. the, the tropic of somewhere. Yeah. But we're talking about things like uh, foot and mouth disease, which you know literally is on our northern doorstep. Uh, in Indonesia, we've got uh, lumpy skin disease, which is another uh, emerging disease in that region as well. We've also, um, a lot of people would be aware that we've had Japanese encephalitis in Australia, um, and that's actually also created d- disease in people. So these are some of the things that we need to be alert for. And look, as veterinarians, we all hope that we never actually need to treat or see or even identify that disease, but boy, we really need to be ready in case something comes along. And that's what these workshops, so they're happening all over the state, trying to get uh, our veterinarians everywhere trained up on these things so that uh, we can help protect Australia, help protect our livestock industries and ultimately all the people uh, throughout those rural and regional areas. And let's be honest, I mean, I know the UK conference was at Armadale, so it's drawing on people, you know, it, that's not really that far away in terms of, you know, an outbreak of a disease, really. Oh, no, absolutely. And these things and, can travel so quickly. <clears throat> you know, recently we had the uh, intrusion of varroa mite through our um, honeybee, uh, well, it started in mm. um, Newcastle, was the, the suspected intrusion but um, that in itself created a lot of trauma to people because a lot of honey uh, is created and collected by backyard people who've got hives. And a friend of mine has lives out on the western edge of the lake out past Toronto had hives. And um, unfortunately, he had to, all these hives were taken and all the bees were killed because of the spread of this disease. 
So we do need to be alert for these things, and they can crop up anywhere. That's the thing. We've got to be ready. Yeah, and when you talk about the the bee situation, I mean, I'm talking with a few people that are in that world. Like you said, they're all amateur beekeepers mostly, and the time it would take to get back if you started from square one when you're able to again, a lot of those folks just won't ever go back into that um, no, cottage industry. It's that's right. wiped out and gone. And, and probably, I mean, we spoke about this last year when Varroa mm. might... Uh, was happening at that time, um, but it's not just honey. The the importance of bees in themselves for pollination of crops, then we lose, you know, things like canola uh, crop disappears. So without those kind of uh, surveillance systems and protocols in place, we put our whole lifestyle, our whole economy at risk through not being ready for these diseases because we know they're out there. Uh, we've just got to be alert for them. All right. David, Dog of the Week is our next thing that we've got going here. And, of course, if you're looking for... I know. We've, up, we've yeah. upped the cuteness factor this week. Yeah, it's up to a... What, what are we in? Uh, 11. 11. <laughs> Turn the dial and to And the system's 11. out of 10, so it's still up to 11. <laughs> maybe if you're looking to have an, an, an extra addition to your family, maybe Milo will be the go here. And, uh, David, quite a, a sad start for Milo. He was actually found uh, wandering around in I the know. bush, which is never a good start. I know, and he's so little, so little, poor little thing. Uh, he's been loved back to health by the foster family, but yes, ready to rehome him for good now. Eight weeks old, and his dominant breed is foxhound. So any thoughts on that particular breed from you, David, where we might well, want to go there? It's interesting talking earlier with Mel about the training. I think like foxhounds do train really well, but they do need lots of exercise. Yeah, okay. Lots so, of exercise. So, again, we're looking for the family that can actually put the time in. Right. Not the sort of people that are uh, up at 7 in the morning, gone, come back about 6 o'clock at night, sit on the lounge with the potato chips watching TV. No. Yeah. No, he's not a goldfish. No. Okay. <laughs> so you need to be able to put that time in. But he's a cuddle, loves a, loves his cuddle, loves a bit of a snooze as well. He's currently learning the uh, toilet training, so that's good. And he's starting to uh, come along when he is called. Loves to chew including fingers and uh, the sharp little puppy teeth as well. So uh, a little puppy that's eight-week-old and chewing. David, um, we want to make oh, sure we can keep on top of that. Pretty normal. Yeah. Pretty normal. I think the the key thing that, and I, I've you know just been through this recently with my pups are now eight months old. And so, yes, they'll do that. We've got to always give them something to interact with. So plenty of chew toys that are tough. Um, not too tough. We don't want to break their teeth. But there's there's plenty of those on the market that are safe. But it's a very normal behaviour. I mean, mm. you know, dogs have limited ability to interact with their environment and taste is a really important one. So they'll always be putting their mouth on things to try and get a sense of, oh, is this food? What does this look like? <laughs> a bit like us, David. Yeah. Um, but, again, a great little puppy there. I mean, he uh, lo loves to sleep under the desk of his uh, Foster owners at the moment, so right, and they're stuff. they're on they're on the right path, of course. All mm -hmm. of all of the pets, uh, all of the adopted foster um, dogs that come through, they're all vaccinated, wormed, microchipped, um, and then desexing to follow when he's old enough. Yeah, exactly. So um, eight weeks old. About how long before he would be at the desexing stage? Well, um, usually we talk about six months of age. Okay. Um, sometimes they can be done earlier. There is uh, some arguments around doing it a bit later, but um, that's something to discuss with the veterinarian. And certainly as far as council registration requires that uh, microchip pets be de uh, registered at six months of age, 
And um, if they're not desexed at that stage, you're planning to do it later, you will need a letter from a veterinarian explaining for the delay. All right, so a couple of things to keep in mind. But, yeah, dominant breed, eight-week-old foxhound Milo. And if you'd like to learn about Milo and our other dogs of the week that uh, may very well still be available, uh, all you do is you head up to the Pet Chat page. You can find that in our Lifestyle Show area at our website, 2NURFM.com.au. All right, Pet Chat continuing here with Dr. David Tabret on 2NURFM. G'day, Ian at Adamstown. You think you may have an uh, answer for the question that uh, we had a little bit earlier on on the dogs there. Yes, good afternoon. Um, well, my immediate thought um, was that uh, uh, any dog with a black coat, is going to, when as soon as it gets out in the sun, it's going to get hotter uh, than a light, any lighter colour. Yep. And that would um, tend to encourage a, a higher um, bacterial sort of, uh, activity. Yeah, that was that was something that um, we discussed earlier with Kelly, and um, I still think there's a uh, like the bacteria just don't take off unless there's the absolute right conditions. So um, certainly the temperature on the skin itself may be a factor. Although I'm I would have to speak to a veterinary dermatolo- dermatologist who um, you know deal with diseases and and the health of skin and particularly the sebaceous glands that we mm. we mentioned earlier these are the ones that secrete the oils um, around the temperature of the skin whilst they might be a little bit warmer uh, when they are in the sun I'm just not sure how permanent that is enough to create that problem but it's I think it's a good theory I'm wondering how we might find that out so I'll we, we said we're going to follow this up, Mark, with uh, well, Cheryl, and then we'll... Well, absolutely, and thanks for your thoughts there, by the way, Enya. Look, I, I did send Cheryl a message. Uh, at this stage, uh, she has not read my message. I can't believe she's not listening <laughs> intently. But sent, uh, sent 23 minutes ago. She hasn't <laughs> even put me on red Now, yet, we're, now we're shaming pet chat members. No, not at all. No, now, no. She's, she's allowed to have a life. That's but okay. I do, I do know a couple of uh, veterinary dermatologists, so I th- I'm intrigued about this question, and I'm going to ask it, and see whether we get uh, a suitable answer. And I think, um, Ian, your your thoughts may well be where the answer lies. We shall wait and see. But thanks very much yeah, thanks, for giving Ian. us a call. And uh, we're, we're going to follow this up for poor old Kelly as well. Now, David, you uh, you like to get out and about, mm. you know, walking your dogs and uh, out there with the other, you know, pet-loving community of the hunter. Oh, yeah. You've spotted a few things. Well, I have. And, look, there are... You know, by and large, I just want to make this clear, by and large, everyone I'm running into with our dogs, we're saying hello and everybody's well-behaved, owners and dogs and people picking up after themselves. But, of course, there's dogs and owners who don't do that sort of thing and it creates problems and I'm absolutely uh, sensitive to, you know, all of the the community having to deal with... um, when dogs are making a mess out in the on their walks and nobody's picking it up, I think, to be honest, that's just not on. Not on. Look, it isn't. And, I mean, you take on a pet, you take on all right. of their needs, and that and that is, you know, you walk on the dog and the dog needs to, uh, you know, go yeah, on. Yeah, they and, toilet where, yeah. wherever. and um, Well, they just stop and then, then here we go. I know, I know. We try not to let our dogs into people's property. Um <laughs> But look, I'm also aware that sometimes you'll get caught out where, you know, you might, you take your dog and you go, oh, I forgot to bring the poo bags or 
he's already been twice and now we've run out. That happens, and um, I've been in the circumstance where that happens, and I'll, um, you know, cover it with some leaves. But then I go home and come back, and I'm not saying I'm the best at this by any means, but do you know what I mean? Like you've got to take accountability for those sort of things. Well, you really do, and like you said, the idea of okay, well, here's the spot, you know, well, um, we know just got to go home and come back and fix it up later on. Particularly, I mean, when people love to take their dogs to. Yeah, so the sporting fields, and right. and that's great. I mean, it's a great spot for them to run around and catch a frisbee or whatever. But well, we do have off-leash areas for dogs for that reason. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're you know bro- spread around a bit more broadly, but nevertheless, I think that's the reason is because councils have recognised that they need to provide those areas where dogs have that degree of freedom, um, and it's not going to intrude on other people's use of that space. And as you said, sporting fields used by a kid, kids on the weekends and training during the week, and nobody wants their kid to go and slide along and land in a pile of doggy doo-doo. No, no, absolutely not. And um, But it look, a great bit of advice there. Maybe take a couple of, shove an extra couple of bags into your pockets as you wander around. Yeah. Just yeah. in case. Absolutely. And if you see someone who um, doesn't uh, behave in a <laughs> responsible way... You it's are just, a heartbeat away from shaming. Uh, the <laughs> I, I look, I, I would, I'm, I didn't get the rego number, yeah. but I'm going to go so far to say that I was with my dogs on lead on a re, uh, sporting oval, and a little blue hatchback pulled up, let two big dogs out of the car. They ran onto the oval, did their thing, and then called them back. They hopped in the car and drove away. Yeah, that's just not cool. Not on. No. All right, so if that is you, you've been named and shamed by David. Send your correspondence to uh, him. I, I didn't get the rego, no, so. that's fine. <laughs> um, well, Dave, we have actually run out of time, so we, we've we've stretched the chewing gum all the way through to the end. So, as always, a pleasure for you to be with us. Looking forward. Are you here next week or not? I'll, I'll be here next week. Yeah. Oh, excellent. No junkets next week. <laughs> no, you've got another one coming up later on, haven't True. you? True. <laughs> all right, there he is, uh, Dr. David Tabbert on Pet Chat this afternoon. Uh, the gang back next week for you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>